we're here at Cambridge University Botanical Gardens today to have a bit of a chat and it is really lovely here and we thought you know what since we're going to be talking about nature and talking about eco-anxiety let's get out into nature to have this first discussion. So hi everyone welcome to the Wild About Wellbeing podcast brought to you by the Wildlife Trusts and for this first bit that we're going to be talking about with you all over the next few episodes we're going to be talking about eco-anxiety so nature in mind essentially. So to begin with let's have a bit of an introduction so my name's Rob Gordon I'm the learning advisor for equality diversity and inclusion at the Royal Society of Wildlife Trusts and Dom if you want to give a quick introduction to yourself as well. Yeah, thank you, Rob. So I'm Dom Higgins. I'm Head of Health and Education, also at the Royal Society of Wildlife Trust. Fantastic. And we've been having discussions behind the scenes talking about eco-anxiety for a while now. And it's something where we've been focusing on people across the Wildlife Trusts, talking to them about it, finding out how they're feeling. And we thought, you know what, let's go and let's go and talk about it with other people as well let's make this a discussion point let's get the public thinking about it so that's why we're here and you know from from your perspective Dom from a health and well-being point of view eco-anxiety is a really huge topic isn't it it is and I think you know you're you're right about it becoming more and more of an issue that's talked about you know the number of times I hear it mentioned now both from organisations that support people with mental health or mental ill health, but also I think just in general conversation, particularly I would say from those who are sort of 30 years old and under, but a really justified concern for nature and the planet is really having an impact on people's state of mind. Absolutely, and and from my perspective, you know, when, when we think about things within inclusion and diversity, mental health forms a huge part of that talking about things like mental health conditions but also talking about things like how eco-anxiety impacts on different people in different ways and over the course of you know this this series of episodes we're going to be going into some of those topics we're going to be talking about different ways that eco-anxiety shows itself depending on different circumstances but also looking at how we can challenge it in different ways and how we can actually turn that fear of climate change into something that galvanizes us to make the world a better place too and in turn that ties into very much those ideas about inclusion and diversity is how can we treat people with respect as well so we've talked about eco-anxiety without really giving much of a definition so far um but but eco-anxiety in terms of a definition here's one from the american psychologist association referring to it as the chronic fear of environmental cataclysm that comes from observing the seemingly irrevocable impact of climate change and the associated concern for one's future and that of next generations and that is a really nice and overly complicated way <laughs> to describe eco-anxiety but that first bit there the chronic fear of environmental cataclysm that kind of gets to the point doesn't it yeah the word that really sticks out for me there is chronic and i think this is what we need to understand that people are bombarded by the reality but also by stories on social media mainstream media about the impacts of climate change about the loss of nature how many times have we as an organization said the most you know nature depleted country in europe and you know this drip drip effect you know it has to have an impact i think the chronic side of things and and i think you use the word debilitating as well therein lies both the issue and and hopefully some of the solutions in that you feel powerless 
yet there's something within your hands that you can hopefully do about it and i think we've got a, a really important role to let people say that to hear it but also to enable some action and what people can can do about it absolutely and that's the really important thing here is when we talk about the the chronic fear there it's important that it's not thought of in that kind of medical perspective isn't it where if we're just going to be thinking about eco-anxiety from a medical point of view, that's not getting to the root cause of what causes eco-anxiety. No, no, absolutely. And I think sort of I, I've, I speak in my work to a lot of GPs, a lot of health professionals, allied health professionals who are really concerned that we don't medicalize this or over medicalize this, because otherwise you're looking at a bit of a kind of a different pandemic, if you like what it what it is 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 that it is a relationship approach a a sort of community-based approach to dealing with feelings of uh, anxiety about what is happening to the planet what is happening to my local nature spot what is happening to our wildlife you know yes of course mental ill health is serious and very often requires therapy and medication but i think here there's something really important that we can do to prevent quite a lot of that becoming over-medicalised and and people being prescribed uh, medicine and drugs unnecessarily in this case. Absolutely. And, you know, from my perspective, um, I'm going to talk about this quite a lot over the next few episodes. I'm someone who lives with mental health conditions myself, and I can recognise some of the things in eco-anxiety in different ways, maybe to other members of the population. Um, The one thing that strikes me as someone who lives with anxiety is that oftentimes with the anxiety that I experience, it has a very irrational root, which then actually that's because of the way that my mind is working that's creating that fear. Whereas with eco-anxiety, it's almost the other way around, that there's this rational root cause, which is the climate crisis, which is the biodiversity crisis that we're, we're seeing and we're witnessing, that's then impacting on our brains in a different way. So actually, when we think about it, that rational cause has rational means to stop which means combating climate change which means combating the biodiversity crisis it means protecting nature that's how in the end of the day we can support eco-anxiety and try and remove it as an issue is solving those root causes which obviously is a uh, not something that we're going to cause over the course of this podcast we're not going to solve all of that but hopefully we can kind of have those discussions about well here's things that we can do to help here's ways that you can take action to build that sense of community to realize that you're not alone because actually one of the big problems of eco-anxiety is that we feel that we're we're alone in it that we're one person up against an entire planet of change but actually we're not so according to the office of national statistics at last reckoning around three and four adults so 74 percent of the population reported feeling very or somewhat worried about climate change and actually that it's the second greatest concern facing adults after the rise is the cost of living. So wow. it is something that we're, we're feeling and a lot of people are feeling in different ways, but maybe we don't articulate it, maybe we don't talk about it, and that might be one of the problems, I think. I think that's really interesting. You know, I think I would say that I am worried about climate change. I feel that I, I don't have anxiety or something that creates a mental health problem for me and I think do we need to make a distinction between those two areas for people that are worried that again we don't want to sort of 
attach a label to people as well as as deal with anxiety absolutely and i think with with that eco anxiety element it's what's the impact on your day-to-day life isn't it so what's that fear that you have about climate change are you worried about it well what's that impact does it mean that you're feeling that inaction that you're unable to carry out day-to-day activities that it's leading to those overwhelming senses of loss of grief or of guilt as well is a big thing that people feel is the guilt about what the planet's like there's a difference between that and feeling worried about it but actually something to recognize is that although maybe if we're experiencing eco-anxiety it is having that impact on our day-to-day lives quite considerably um, you're not alone in feeling that way in different sort of extremities that actually three quarters of the UK population is concerned to some way shape or form about this so it's almost maybe about having that conversation and talking things through with other people as well maybe and we're seeing it affect the younger demographic aren't we mm. more broadly but it's not exclusive to to younger people isn't it and and, and children I, I do hear you know some quite frightening things where you mentioned being overcome and not being able to function or you know the debilitating fact you know I've, there are some cases where that is the case and particularly in young children i think which is i find very worrying and i think at the same time there are as you say those who perhaps feel they've been part of the cause of the issue there's a whole different thing going on there isn't there absolutely you know they're what is our personal relationship to climate change is what it comes down to and with young people maybe it's that feeling of hopelessness that this is the place that we've inherited and that there's nothing we can do and that people don't listen to us as well as a big thing um but everyone can experience it you know it's not tied to a single demographic and you know older people can experience it um you know people in the millennial era as well um who i'm a millennial i'm hitting 35 this year i feel very old now in comparison to some people in the environmental movement um but but people are feeling it in different ways depending on whether their voices are heard and also depending on what previous generations that they've lived through have done and what changes have been made there and so it's a complicated thing and it is down to maybe thinking about it on a person by person basis what what does that self-reflection of how you're feeling about it change about the way that you act almost maybe what kind of points of action do you want to take? How do you want to engage in nature? How do you want to support conservation and environmentalism as a whole? It really comes down to what works for you and what helps you with these feelings that you're having too, maybe. And, and this is important, isn't it? Because there's no one fix, no one solution. Clearly, it's a very personal thing that people are going to have different kind of senses of either loss, grief, hopelessness, like you say. And I think therefore it's you know we can't go out there and just say well take action or you know support this coming you know it it probably requires some conversations so so one of the key things that maybe also people might not know about eco-anxiety is how to recognize it in themselves um that it's it is quite a new topic people might be feeling those impacts without necessarily recognizing what that cause has been so it might be worth talking a little bit here in our first episode about how does eco-anxiety manifest i suppose and some of that can be in that sense of how you're feeling Um, maybe it's that sense of doom or dread that maybe you're feeling and you're not sure where it's coming from that sense of, of of anxiety of course or maybe feelings of inaction that 
what's the point in doing things if this is what's going on as well and that can be one of the key challenges like i said before those feelings of guilt about how the world is but also that impact on your ability to do things day to day so not just that inaction in terms of 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 climate and in terms of environmentalism conservation those kind of activities we can take part in but also those day-to-day things that you want to do going to work uh running a bath cooking food all of those kind of things can be impacted as well, can't they? There's all of these different ways that eco-anxiety shows up. Yeah, and, and therein lies the challenge because what you've described are symptoms of um, kind of stress and anxiety that may not be caused by the plight of nature or the planet. So how do we, how do we get to that? How do we zone in on the cause? Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing. And it maybe comes down to that self-reflection, like I mentioned before, is Mm. understanding, well, where do these feelings come from? It's that fine line between symptom and cause, isn't it, that we need to try and navigate? Because all of these symptoms can be very, very, you know, um, similar to what we see with, with health conditions. And that's one of the other reasons why challenging eco anxiety is so important is that even if it's not a health condition in its own right, it can still have that tremendous impact on people in their day-to-day lives. And that's one of the key reasons why I think it's important to think about, when we think about mental health, we can think about poor mental health and mental health conditions, and those are slightly different things, where someone can be going through a period of grief if they've had a close bereavement, and that has a huge impact on someone's mental health without there necessarily being a health condition attached to it. And so it's almost thinking about, okay, well, when we think about mental health, that's not just about health conditions. It's also about how we're feeling, how we're doing. Our mental health doesn't exist in a vacuum and the things that we're experiencing around us do have that impact. And it's kind of taking that step back and thinking through the processes of why we're feeling this way, what that point might have been that's led us to feel like this and be doing things and acting in this way as well. And is there... Is there sense in having those conversations, whether you are presenting those symptoms like stress, like anxiety, like inability to act? Is there a a good reason to open up these conversations in, I don't know, the classroom or in the workplace, wherever it might be, just to say, who is worried? What are you worried about? And and just open it out in, in, in those kind of ways. Because I think that is the seems to me the trick here is is tracing back you mentioned earlier on about it's rational and so you know there may be quite a logical way that you can work back to what is it that i am worried about and therefore a solution might be more easily presentable but equally so it's probably just as valid to have conversations with people that are worried that perhaps don't have those severe symptoms as much and and so you're not isolating people yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and that's one of the big cha- big things to challenge is that isolation. So having those conversations in our schools, in our workplaces, in our peer groups, and just talking about it um, can make the world of difference because it might be something you're experiencing and you want to talk to other people about it, which is great. But equally, you don't know what someone else is feeling either. There might be someone who's struggling alone with feelings of eco-anxiety who you wouldn't expect it because we're very good at covering these things up particularly in britain we love our stiff upper lip getting on with things and not actually talking about the things that are concerning us so having those kind of conversations and talking about it making it a normal part of the way we communicate and saying how are you feeling about this what's going on 
you know are you feeling impacted are you feeling hopeful what kind of action have you been taking those kind of conversations are really vital not on an individual level but on a community level and that sense of community i think is really important for eco anxiety and we'll talk about that in more focus later on in this run of episodes as well um but there's that community sense of challenging eco anxiety and supporting nature in our local area which i think is really key to these kind of talking points really so We've talked a lot about sort of the theory around it, but I'd be quite keen to get back to thinking about things on quite a personal level. You know, how does eco-anxiety impact on my life? How does it impact on your life? So for me, I'm I'm very worried about climate change. I've made changes to, to my routine in my life and, and, and making that a healthy part of your routine is really key when it comes to eco-anxiety is making sure it's not to the detriment of your health, the changes that you're making is really key. Making sure that you're doing things in a healthy way, in a, uh, in a sustainable way from your own well-being point of view. Um, the other thing that's really helped me actually is working for the wildlife trusts um, where I my, my background isn't in conservation, isn't in environmentalism, but actually finding a job that worked in a sector which is important has really helped with that because it's given me that space to focus you know and and you can kind of see that through people volunteering becoming members taking part in campaigns that actually devoting our time to supporting the climate crisis to supporting biodiversity to supporting nature in general um that can really help can't it and i found that personally is actually this has helped me feel better about things that actually even if we're all just taking small steps on our own together that turns into big strides and having that kind of movement together can really help what about yourself dom how have you felt about about it so yeah it's a really interesting question rob i um so i'm 50 you know i've um i've been in the sector for a 20 25 years or so from my point of view i came into this really from a a point of involving people in natural environment organizations and action and campaigns and those sorts of things it started off with youth programs and it you know i've been through all sorts really but i was i never came at this um from a um an environmental or a conservation point of view to be honest it was always uh, the activity here you know, would benefit this group of people and this group of people would enrich that set of organisations or the environment over there. And it may seem unconnected to what we're talking about, but I don't, I suppose what I'm saying is I don't, although I am worried, I've never really placed my work and thought about it so specifically about tackling climate and change and, and nature loss until recently i've lit you know my, my my job and actually my personal passion and interest has been about people gaining the benefits and that group of people diversifying who we've got engaged in the natural environment sector because because i think we've got a bit of an issue generally in that if we want to make the changes in society we've basically got the same one third of the population in the uk who are either employed in the environment sector, as you know, who are taking action, or who you can generally be seen being active in nature. And actually, if we are going to take action necessarily for wildlife, and therefore if we're going to tackle climate change, and therefore if we're going to tackle 
you know, some of the reasons for eco-anxiety, what we need is a, is a much richer group of people. And I think this is one of the ways. So I, I don't, it's interesting, I don't personally feel particularly anxious about climate, even though I'm very worried about it. I, I'm quite hopeful. I, I might be actually quite shallow, right? <laughs> so I don't, I don't give this a huge amount of time. Quite possibly, the more I think about it, the more anxious I may become about it. But at the moment, that's that kind of where I am. If that makes sense. No, that makes that makes perfect sense. Is um, and hopefully that will give some really good perspectives over the course of these episodes. That actually, I'm coming from that place of of feeling it and being impacted by it, whereas you've got that 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 higher level that more big picture focus and maybe together we can come to some interesting solutions over the conversations that we have yeah let's hope so yeah absolutely <laughs> that's where we're gonna we're gonna solve it all over the course of this podcast don't worry um and and yeah the, the other thing to bear in mind here is of course you know as someone who who lives with mental health conditions um i'm aware of the way that the way that the climate is changing is impacting on my my own health and that's one of the reasons why you mentioned bringing everybody together on this journey and opening it up and that's why being intersectional with this approach is so important that actually we're looking at how different parts of humanity intersect on climate change intersect on eco-anxiety because if we're only looking at one small bit of it then we're going to miss things that we want to change as well won't we yeah i think that's a really important point not only from the intersectional point of view in terms of um uh people coming at it from different points of view but actually um you know biologically you know it, that's a really interesting point you made about the the heat and the impact and you know at the moment people's physical discomfort and physical health just the pure fact of being relentlessly hot or you know um relentlessly kind of under rain at at an unusual time of year you know these kind of physical impacts i think also affect your mental health so there's you know because you know we're talking about holistic kind of impact on our health and well-being uh you know that there is something in that as well i think yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, our physical health and our mental health are constantly entwined in different ways. Yeah. And it's really important to recognise that. And actually, as things change physically around us, that changes how we're feeling. That changes, like you said, the biological element as well. Um, so there's all sorts of different things that can come up here. And like I've said, over the course of this podcast, we're looking to delve into some of those in more specifics, you know, talking about things like mental health, like community, like youth engagement, like what time in water or time around water looks like differently to time on land as well. Because actually there's all of these different things that we can focus on in different ways. So I'm sure that people have had enough of listening to our voices for today's episode. What we're going to have over the course of the rest of this intro episode is talking to other people about how they feel about eco-anxiety, about how they feel about climate change. Because actually, remember, we're not alone in this. There's lots of us feeling that way. So enjoy the next bits of this episode. And now we have a message from Dr. Amir Khan, Vice President of the Wildlife Trusts. We've long passed the point of writing off signs of climate change as simply another phase in the normal cycle of global warming and cooling. Human actions have altered Earth's climate and the impact of this is becoming increasingly visible. Most people realise climate change can affect physical health through pollution, the spread of disease and food scarcity. 
mental health professionals also point to one serious mental health consequence, eco-anxiety. Eco-anxiety refers to persistent worries about the future of the earth and the life it shelters. Being worried about climate change and biodiversity is normal and helps us take action. But letting that worry overwhelm you and stop you from doing the things you would normally do each day is when it starts tipping into a mental health issue. On one hand, increasing media reports of climate change are a sign of positive progress, as greater awareness can lead more people to take action. Yet doom scrolling and feeling unable to escape news of climate change may not always motivate change. The steady barrage of stories on shrinking rainforests, coral reef destruction and species down to double or single digits can worsen your shock and grief. This deep despair can in some cases make it difficult to begin taking any action at all. I, like so many people, I worry about the future of the planet and I care deeply for our wildlife and for future generations. But when you get into a sense of hopelessness, dread, guilt and shame about your own carbon footprint or obsessiveness, it can become a problem. It can affect your sleep, appetite and concentration. As with any type of anxiety, talking about it with others and sharing your feelings helps. You might come up with ways to overcome that constant feeling of dread. Taking action also helps. It's a meaningful way to focus your thoughts and feelings and make a positive change. Simple things like turning the temperature down in your home and wearing warmer clothing instead, being creative with food leftovers, cycling or walking instead of taking the car and having a nature-friendly garden can help make you feel like you're doing your bit. Also, participating in neighbourhood gardening, litter pickups, waste reduction efforts can also help reduce feelings of eco-anxiety. Working with others who also want to protect the environment can increase your sense of connection and ease the sensation of struggling alone. Emotional and social support can help boost resilience, increase your optimism and hope. Many voices ringing together is better than one lone voice. Efforts to protect community green spaces, including parks, nature reserves, forests, woodlands, may have a higher chance of success when you stand together as a community, and it really does help with your eco-anxiety as well. Do things as a family. Offer family kind of activities such as woodland bathing, going out looking at the stars, studying kind of the array of life around you, whether that's in ponds or your garden or in woodlands or in rock pools. All of that will develop a stronger resolve to protect and repair nature and its environment. You'll also learn how nature can promote well-being and emotional health and all of that knowledge can offer protection against eco-anxiety. Ecotherapy is an emerging field to mental health treatment and it makes use of the healing benefits of nature and emphasises the importance of nurturing not just the environment but the connection you share to the planet. The bottom line is it's essential to take notice of your feelings of eco-anxiety, validate and talk about them instead of blocking them out. Awareness, after all, is key to change. And now for the final part of today's episode, 
I was lucky to sit down and talk with people from across the wildlife trusts about what eco-anxiety means to them. So I was speaking to Helen, Liz and Meg about the topic of eco-anxiety. I work for Lincolnshire Wildlife Trust. Um, I've been with the Trust for about a year and I work in the education and community engagement area. Hi, I'm Liz Collier. I'm Data and Research Officer. So my name is Meg Watts. I am the Equality, Diversity and Inclusion Officer for Norfolk Wildlife Trust. And I am also the Digital EDI, Equality, Diversity and Inclusion Officer for the Royal Society of the Wildlife Trusts. So when we mention eco-anxiety, when we think about eco-anxiety, what does that mean to you personally? I I live with depression and anxiety anyway. So I think in that respect, it's kind of just another branch of that to, you know, it's just something else to be anxious about. But um, I think being the kind of person that really cares about the planet and the environment it's just something that really gets you on a daily basis and you just feel like you can't do enough yourself to actually um, make a difference and I think it's that frustration on top of the worry that not enough is being done overall to, to kind of claw back this damage that's already been done. I think it's sort of a whole idea of just panic sometimes of uh, there's definitely a feeling of helplessness around it you see things like Australia was on fire a couple of years ago. Even the sea's been on fire. That it's just such a huge, all-encompassing thing. So climate anxiety for me, because of the fact that I live in the UK and because of the privilege of the fact that I live in the UK, I don't have as many. I'm having more now, but I don't have as many uh, facets of it that someone else in a different part of the world might have. Like, for example, fear of extreme weather events or, you know, a heightened storm season or droughts preventing me from subsistence farming or things like that. I am privileged that that is not the reality of my experience of eco-anxiety. My experience of eco-anxiety has been just complete dread and grief and and it became very tied into my my anger and my frustration at human rights violations absolutely yeah no i i I recognize that feeling myself quite a lot um so so in terms of those feelings of frustration and 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 things like that how has that affected you personally when it comes to eco-anxiety i think again on a on a daily basis you kind of feel like you can't do enough which in turn makes you feel worse And then you feel like you should be doing more, but you don't know what else you can do. And you get yourself in this loop of frustration and and kind of depression almost that you can't do enough, but you should do more. But what else can you do? But what are other people doing? But you can't do that. And yeah, you just get yourself tied up in knots, I think, ultimately. Sometimes you just don't you just feel completely helpless with it all and you think, oh, why, why do I bother with everything? What can I do? But then you sort of think about the little things you can do or things you can't do, whether things you should or shouldn't do. Big thing for, for myself was the idea of whether, whether or not we want to have children and bring them into a world where everything does seem to be on fire and uh, everything getting worse and worse and uh, going forward. What sort of world are you bringing someone into? What sort of pressures are you putting on them? Um, I mean, I, as well as kids, I mean, even wonder about getting dogs because, you know, they argue about the carbon footprint of dogs. Yeah, so I'm trying to look at things like that I can actually control. Yeah, I do. I definitely have experienced eco-anxiety and I still struggle a lot with eco-anxiety in my life. Um, fear for, as I described earlier, fear for environmental change and also fear for 
structural inequality worsening because of climate change, poverty worsening because of climate change, that fear has shaped the entire direction of my life. I have spent since since I was about 16, I've spent most of my free time working for free on climate change. So so it's my climate anxiety has shaped my entire life, to be honest. It's it's the reason that I'm not, you know, working at an arts organization somewhere having a lovely time. It's the reason that I spend all of my free time on climate action. It's the reason that I spend my work days on climate action and nature access. But yeah, so on a, on an existential on a, on a big scale, yeah, it's shaped my entire like my eco anxiety has shaped my entire life. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's that feeling of that real weight of personal responsibility and guilt, isn't there, that you feel regarding regarding eco-anxiety. But then, of course, there is all of the things around what's everyone else in our communities doing, but also what's happening on a structural basis and how there's that feeling of hopelessness and like frustration that we can't go and sort everything out ourselves at that higher policy level, too. And it all sort of compounds, doesn't it, into one place. Um so, so you know, the, these are some big, these are some heavy feelings that we have. Um, what have you found personally that that's helped with these feelings of eco anxiety? I, I mean, it is it is a difficult one to to manage, um, and I think the main thing that I do is I just have to talk to myself about what I am doing and what I realistically can do. Um, you know, sort of stop comparing yourself to what other people are doing. You think, well, actually. I'm doing what I can. I'm recycling as much as I can. I'm working in a job that, you know, my my job is to spread the message and encourage other people to take action. And that's what I'm personally capable of doing. I'm, I'm not, you know, I don't have a background in uh, conservation and ecology and all that kind of thing. So that's not something that I can personally do. Therefore, I just have to focus my mind on what I can do. My overall philosophy generally in life is, okay, well, one person can't change the world. It's a lot, you know, one single person, you cannot change the world. It's not possible. But if everybody just makes their little corner of it a better place, that will ultimately all link up and and will make a difference. It's You always want to think really big, but I think the thing is to keep reminding yourself that you can think small and think about the things that have already been achieved plastic straws you know it's that classic they sort of said oh it's just one plastic straw said a million people so now we don't have plastic straws you know it's 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 recognizing I think my place in this big jigsaw puzzle of trying to fix things but it is very hard and you I just have to keep reminding myself basically (laughs) Um, as I say, it's sort of seeing what I can take control of. Um, we're looking in quite a privileged position that, you know, have have our own house so we can do things like insulate, get solar panels, air source heat pumps, drive an electric car and things like that. Diet, you know, consider being more plant-based or can look at the food miles that things have done. And yeah, just sort of thinking about how we can control things, what impact that you can make and just talking to others, not... It's the idea that everyone sort of is aware of. It's not doing everything perfectly, but lots of people doing something. Try and sort of contact companies and things. If you see that they're doing something ridiculous, try and get them to them to take small steps. So it's 
And the idea that it's been put on individuals is quite ridiculous at times, but the individuals can then put pressure onto others to do, onto these bigger groups. The first one is people have differing opinions on it, but one thing that's really helped me is saying, you know what, I'm stressed enough about the state of the world as it is. I'm not going to doom scroll. I'm not going to check the news every day. If I'm not on top of every injustice that's happening in the world and every environmental disaster that's happening in the world, that's okay. We are only one person. You are only one person. You cannot fix everything. For me, one of the most important parts of moving away from activism that was really burning me out and making me physically very ill and mentally very ill was moving towards activism that that's joyful, that fulfills. Also, remembering that the way that journalists use shock and horror and and spectacle creates this horrendous feeling that like nothing's ever going to get better and that it's we're doomed to failure and that is completely paralyzing and debilitating and it's also just not true we have personal agency um to act in our own ways some of us have more than others some of us have more financial power or legal power and political power and to those people i say pull your socks up Absolutely. And yeah, you know, that, that that's one of those key things that I found helpful is that, you know, recognizing what's within your control and focusing on what you can control on that journey um, really helps with sort of grounding it and stopping this big nebulous thing that climate change is from becoming too overwhelming, is at least we can all make a dent together in different ways. I mean, we're, we're, we're working for the right kind of organisation to, to start with. And I think that's a good first step. You know, I think you've said previously as well that we are therefore on the front line and we see the impact possibly more than other people. But we're in this job because we care. Just have to keep reminding yourself what you're doing. <laughs> Thank you very much to our three guests today for sharing their own experiences and to Dr. Amir Khan for sharing his overview as well. We're going to be back in two weeks' time to look specifically at the link between mental health and eco-anxiety with some fantastic guests again. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you in a couple of weeks. (music) 